Our reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 23, verses 32 to 49. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Are we on? We're on. That's good. Let's pray. Father, as we turn to this word, we pray that you, by your spirit, would open it to us, that we would learn more of the Lord Jesus, of his grace, his mercy, his power and his love. And Father, in his, uh, in his death and the forgiveness that we find there, may we also find uh, the motivation and the power to be a people who, like you, forgive others. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, no surprise, Easter is almost here. You've probably started Easter uh, cross buns, Easter eggs, yes. You probably started that quite a while ago, uh, if the supermarkets are anything to run by. Uh, I think I saw Easter uh, hot cross buns within two weeks of Christmas finishing. But more importantly, here at Trinity Hills, we've been working through what is called the passion story. Really, what those last 24 hours really from the garden to the grave. If you're not a Christian here this morning, can I just say it's fantastic that you're here because you've really come at the time when we are exploring the thing that is at the very centre of our faith. You know the phrase, the crux of the issue? Well, crux is just really the, uh, the Latin word for cross. So that's where it comes from. This is the cross of the issue. 
This is the center of our faith. And so if you're still exploring what it means uh, to follow Jesus and what it is that he did for us, this is a great place uh, to speak from. Because this is the climax of the Bible. This is the center of God's work. It is at the cross that the gates of glory are opened. It's at the cross that sin is paid for and the judgment is exhausted. It's at the cross as the son's hands are stretched wide that the fathers welcome us in. It's at the cross that rebels are reconciled to their creator. For the Christian, it can be sometimes easy to think that the gospel, the good news about the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, is just the start of the Christian life. But what I've been trying to unpack for us is that it's not only the start, but it is the motivation and the power to live the entire Christian life. And so we've been exploring how the gospel changes hearts, changes lives, gives us what we need to live for God each and every day. We looked a couple of weeks ago how the gospel, there was a story, the passion story was a story of love. And in God's love for us, we find the strength and the motive to love others. Last week, we saw that it is a story of courage. And in what Christ did as he stood for us, we find the courage to stand for him. Today, we're looking at the whole idea of forgiveness. Now, most of us, I think here, if we're honest, we like the idea of forgiveness. Because if we're honest, we recognise how desperately we actually need it. You might be familiar with the quote by Alexander Pope, To err is human, to forgive, divine. To err is human, to make mistakes is in part of what it is to be human. As Christians, we'd say that goes all the way back to the beginning, to sin, to the garden. But to err is human. We are in desperate need of forgiveness. But what I want to ask this morning, is forgiveness just something that God does for us? Or is there a capacity then for us to forgive others? I'm going to explore this. Three headings. Forgive them. Forgive me. And forgive as the Lord forgave you. Let's start. The start of our passage, we read of Jesus. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and then the other on his left. This is the climax of the Jesus story. Everything has been heading to Golgotha, the place of the skull. From the moment that Jesus identified with sinners in his baptism, from the moment that he stood with them, I am one of them, by declaring that at his baptism, he was heading for this moment. His teaching, his healing, his love and compassion, the mercy and grace, his great acts of power over evil, chaos, sin, death, all led to here. And a couple of weeks ago, we saw 
how his disciple Judas came up and betrayed him with a kiss. How the others abandoned him. How Peter three times asked, you're one of them. Three times denied that he even knew Jesus at all. Jesus was spat upon, beaten, falsely accused, unjustly condemned, sent out to Golgotha, stripped naked and nailed hand and foot to a cross to die in agony from exposure, asphyxia and blood loss. And against this, Luke recounts for us three times as Jesus is executed with the guilty that he is innocent. Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, I find no basis for a charge against this man. One of the criminals executed next to him. This man has done nothing wrong. The centurion commanding the execution party. Surely this was a righteous man. Three times Jesus is declared innocent. And yet he is nailed to a cross to die between criminals. If that was you, what would be going through your mind? In spite of the agony, what would you be thinking? What would you be saying? Jesus could have condemned and no one could have faulted him. He could have rebuked them. Why? Why would you pierce the hands that fed you? Why? Why would you nail the feet that followed after you in mercy? Why? Why would you curse the one who loved to bless you? Jesus didn't condemn. Jesus didn't curse. He didn't rebuke. He prayed for them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. John Flavel, 17th century Christian, wrote this about what Jesus went through. He said, Never did anyone suffer more or greater abuses from men than Jesus did. Nor did anyone ever endure insult and reproach of every kind of abuse in more peaceful and forgiving manner. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. When his murderers crucified him, he prayed, Father, forgive them. And herein, he has set us an example that we should follow in his steps. Herein, he set us an example that we should follow in his steps. To be fair to Mr. Flavel, this isn't his final word on this passage. We'll come back to him a little bit later. But I don't know how you feel about that. This example, could you ever come close? I know my heart. 
I know that by myself, I could not return blessing for curse as Jesus did. I could not return peace and love and grace in the face of such hostility. Can you follow the example of Christ? Do you, do you find it easy to forgive? Can I suggest with people you love, with little things, perhaps it's okay, but with the big things, it's hard. It's hard. Because with forgiveness, someone must always pay the cost. A couple of years ago, we, had, um, we actually had a new couple around from church, around to our place. Happened also to be uh, the principal of my girl's school. Uh, and uh, I was dropping Hannah down here. It was when we had evening church. And uh, there was a band rehearsal. And uh, after I dropped Hannah down here, I came back and uh, I said to this couple, I said, um, I smashed into your car on the way out the drive. <laughs> they thought I was joking. No, I did smash into their car on the way out of the drive. Someone had to pay the cost. Either they were going to incur the cost, even just the excess, or we were. One of the two. There was no third option where it all just gets, let's pretend it never happened. No. Someone always pays the cost. And with forgiveness of anything, the little and the big there is always a cost to be borne. Justice says the perpetrator bears the cost. Mercy says the victim does. How do you go? How do you go bearing the cost when someone hurts you? When someone defames you? When the friends at school turn on you in a little pack and rip you to pieces? How do you forgive them when someone you trust abuses you? When someone rips you off? When someone hurts you and violates your trust at the deepest level? How do you forgive? Is Mr. Flavel right? That Jesus is an example and we should follow him. And if he is, how can we do it? Because so often that pain, we don't absorb it. When it is great, it absorbs us. And we become pain. Maybe you know what it's like. When that pain festers in your heart. When you crucify the perpetrator again and again and again. When you live in bitterness, broken, because of what has happened to you. How, does, how do we respond to that? How does Jesus call us to respond to that? We need more than just an example. We need something that is greater and Jesus gives us that as he prays father forgive forgive them 
Who are the them? One of my favourite preachers is a guy called Charles Spurgeon. He was doing the preacher thing back in 19th century uh, London. Uh, he was a good Baptist. And uh, he wrote about these words, Father, forgive them. He said he loved the indistinctness of this prayer. Who is Jesus talking about? Who is he praying for? Is it just the Romans that are nailing him to the cross? Or is it the people who unjustly condemned him? Or is it the disciples who betrayed him? Or is it the crowds that mocked him? Who is it? Spurgeon wrote that he loved the indistinctness of this prayer. And he said, into the pronoun, them, I feel that I can crawl. There's space for him in the them of Father, forgive them. And what I want you to see is that Jesus' prayer is the basis for our plea. There are two men who are crucified with Jesus, one on the right, one on the left. And each of them make a plea to Jesus. Each of them make an appeal. Verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. There's a demand. Save us. There's no acknowledgement. No acknowledgement of his guilt. Just a demand that Jesus as Messiah meets his conditions to save him. There's no repentance. Just a demand. Some people treat God like this. Someone asked me during the week, they said, um, how would you speak to someone who said, look, I'll deal with Jesus at the end. You know, these, these guys are on the cross. They don't have to live the Christian life, do they? They've got just a matter of hours of their Christian life if they're going to come to Jesus. I'm going to put off dealing with Jesus to the very end. There's lots of people like that. They like the idea of heaven. But the whole following Jesus thing is not really appealing, so we defer it till later. Demanding that Jesus meet them on their terms. Denying, denying who he is. Making the king a servant. The saviour someone who just comes at your beck and call. There's, no refusal, there's a refusal to recognise sin. And the warning I would say, if this is you this morning, I'll deal with Jesus later. Jesus rejected his plea. But there's another one. The other criminal rebuked the first one. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This man is markedly different from the first. The first made demands on Jesus. This one recognises three things. Firstly, he recognises his guilt. 
We are punished justly. We are getting what our deeds deserve. This man recognises that he is exactly where he should be. Under condemnation. Under condemnation. But not only does he recognise guilt, he recognises God and his judgment. Don't you fear God. He recognises it's not just Rome, it's not just Pontius Pilate. That's not the throne that condemns him. He is also condemned under the judgment of God. He recognises that God is holy and he is not. And he is condemned. But then he recognises not just his guilt, not just the glory and justice of God, but Christ. He sees that this one, this one hanging next to him is innocent. This one, this one has no place amongst them and yet is numbered amongst them. He sees in Jesus something that makes him reach out and ask for salvation. He sees that Jesus is king, but he also sees that he is saviour. Though he knows he is justly condemned by Rome and by God, he calls out to the king, the saviour, the one on the cross, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is my bargains. He doesn't plead his case, but he throws himself on mercy. There's an old hymn that says it like this. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. That second criminal recognised that he had nothing to offer and could only appeal to the mercy of the king. I ask you, have you seen what he saw? Have you seen your guilt that you will stand before a holy God before whom no one, no one is declared right? Because even your best deeds, you have done them for someone else. And not for him. You have served others. You have served yourself. But you have not served the one who is truly deserving of your service. Do you see your rejection of the king? Do you see that if you did not have the mercy of Christ, you would get what your deeds deserve? An eternity shut out from before the face of God. Does that grieve you? Do you see your sin and does it break your heart? One of the dangers, and can I say there are many, many privileges, but one of the dangers of growing up in a Christian family is that you never ever face the fact of your own sin. 
you've just gone along, you've done the Christian thing all your life, and it's hard to see that you need forgiveness as much as the thieves upon the cross, as much as any. His grace is necessary for you. Does your sin break your heart? Do you grieve over it? Or are you so familiar with grace that you abuse it? That you abuse it? Have you seen not only your sin, but the wonderful grace of God that is yours in Christ, that Christ is your substitute, the one who died in your place, bearing the penalty that you deserved, Jesus lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died to bring us to God. Do we see that Christ's prayer is for us? If you haven't seen that, I would love to talk to you about that. The people you came with, the people sitting around you who know that, they would love to talk to you as well. Spurgeon after talking about how much he loved that little pronoun. He says, can you get in there, into them? Oh, by a humble faith, appropriate the cross of Christ by trusting in it and get into that big little word, them. It seems like a chariot of mercy that has come down to earth into which a man or a woman may step and it shall bear them up to heaven. Father, forgive them. Brothers and sisters, in the cross, there is forgiveness for you and for me. But in the last few minutes, I also want to show that in the forgiveness that is ours in Christ, in the cross, there is the power and the motivation to forgive others as the Lord has forgiven us. Can I just say... Forgiveness is not an optional extra for the Christian. Do you remember Jesus in Matthew 18 told a parable? A parable about a servant who was dragged before his master, owing a debt that he could never pay. Maybe you're familiar with this story. And what does the master do? Because the servant begged him, he forgave this debt and let him go. And then the servant goes out and finds one of his colleagues who owes him a pittance, tiny debt, and has him thrown into prison until he can pay it. Needless to say, some of the other servants are a little miffed about this. So they go to the master and they tell. And this is what happens. The master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. It's terrifying, isn't it? It gets worse. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. That should sober us. Forgiveness is not an optional extra. 
Remember the Lord's Prayer? What do we pray? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It should sober us. How can we do this? Because in ourselves there is not the strength to do it. Let's return to Mr. Flavel. He says, None should be so filled with forbearance and mercy to such as wrong them as those who have experienced the riches of mercy themselves. The mercy of God to us should melt our hearts into mercy towards others. It is impossible that we should be cruel to others except we forget how kind and compassionate God has been to us. The mercy of God to us should melt our hearts into mercy towards others. It is in the gospel. It is in the death and resurrection of Jesus for you, for me, that our hearts can be changed so that we can forgive as the Lord forgave. It is in the experience of forgiveness that we have in the cross that motivates us and empowers us to forgive others. How can we do it? I want to give you a few things that are worth, I think, prayerfully reflecting upon. When you struggle to forgive, firstly, you need to remember the extent to which you have been forgiven. In Matthew 18, we are the servant that the master has forgiven the unforgivable debt, the unpayable debt, the thing that we could not possibly ever pay. And at the cross, it is wiped clean. We need to know the extent of our sin. Secondly, we need to know what our forgiveness costs God. It wasn't a cheap thing that Jesus did. It cost the Father the life of his Son. It cost Jesus not just physical pain, but the spiritual agony of knowing that he was under the judgment of the Father who had only ever loved him, only ever been in the closest relationship with him. Now at Calvary, Jesus bears the cost. We've got to know our sin, know the cost, and know that Jesus offers it to us freely. He doesn't say, pay me, pay me back. He doesn't say, I'll give it to you if you give me a little bit. He offers it to us to be received by faith. The open hands with nothing in them that receives the gift freely given. Know that your forgiveness, your forgiveness that came at infinite cost to God, is given to you freely by grace through faith. And then recognize, fourthly, that it is the one who loves you that much it is the one who has forgiven you the debt that you could not pay that asks you 
this little thing. Brother, sister, it doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean that, you know, water off a duck's back, it just never hurts. Of course it hurts. Of course it hurts. But it is in the grace and mercy of the gospel of God that you find the motive and the strength to forgive. And it's not just a one-off thing. For some of you, for some of you, you have been hurt deeply in a way that you can never forget. For some of us, we bear those scars until the day Jesus returns or we go to him. And we will need to go back again and again and again, but know that no matter how great sin is, grace is always more. You will never drain this cup. No matter how great sin is, grace is always more. But sometimes our pain can be like a bell. And when we forgive, it's like we let go. But the bell for a little while, maybe for a long while, keeps on ringing. And so we need to go back and we need to recall how great a debt we have been forgiven. Brothers and sisters, grace is there for you to come home to the Father, for your sin to be forgiven. And grace is there for you to forgive as the Lord forgave you. Let's pray. Father, you know our hearts, you know our grief and our pain, you know that we have suffered much. Some of us have faced horrendous things at the hands of others, but Father, we do know that you do call us to forgive. Father, draw our hearts and our minds to know the wonder of grace that has been lavished upon us. As real as the pain that we bear, as real as the offence against us, Father, our offence against you is infinitely more. And you have freely forgiven us. By your grace, melt our hearts. And enable that grace to overflow in forgiveness to others. Never let us leave it behind. But let us live in that gospel. So that we might bring you glory in all things. Forgiven and forgiving. To the glory of God. And in Jesus name we pray. Amen.